Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letushim, Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The older we get, the more we realize that our time with family, that our time with friends is limited. The clock is ticking. And it's only a matter of time before the numbers run out and the whistle blows and the coach yells, time's up. And people respond to that realization that life is short in a lot of different ways. Some look at it and they try to deny it. They try to hide it. They try to fight it. Others, they think about the time that they have left and they, they realize, I want to make the most of this time. And so we, we hear those, those sayings, life is too short, dot, dot, dot. Life's too short. Life's short, so play hard. Maybe you've seen that bumper sticker I read recently. Life's too short, short to hide your feelings. Don't be afraid to say what you feel. My personal favorite is this. Life's too short for fake butter, cheese, and people. Life's short. And that realization is also the reason that a lot of people create these bucket lists. Have you heard about these things? Maybe you have one of these. It's a list of things that, that you want to accomplish or experiences that you want to have or places you want to go before your time is done here. 
There's a blogger, a travel enthusiast, a writer. Her name is Annette White, and she wrote, Stop dreaming about your bucket list and start living it. And I think what she's really saying, start reading my blog so I can tell you the things you need to do before the end of your life comes. Albert Einstein wrote, Time is relative. It's only worth depends upon what we do with it as it is passing. What are we doing with the time that we have left? When the whistle blows and time is up, will we be able to look back at our lives and say that they were well spent? As we reflect on the life of Abraham, we see an individual whose life meant something. Abraham's life had an impact. It made a difference. We see a man who spent his years in such a way that they had lasting value. And the surprising thing is, the worth of Abraham's life, that's not so much found in the things that he accomplished, but in the way he yielded his life to what God wanted to accomplish. Let's spend a few minutes this morning reflecting on the life of Abraham and seeing how that life had value that stretched beyond just the 175 years that he was here on this earth and stretches into eternity. Let's talk about Abraham in God's program. Genesis 25, we have this quick glance at some details uh, of the last years of Abraham's life. And we see that after Sarah had passed away, Abraham married again. He married this woman named Keturah. And he at least had six sons with this woman. And after his death is recorded here, we read that Ishmael, his son that he had with Hagar, Sarah's servant, he went on to have 12 sons. And so we see that God was true to his word, that God was beginning to multiply the descendants of Abraham. His descendants were going to be like the dust of the earth, remember? And from him would come nations. Now, we don't know exactly why or how those sons of Keturah felt about Abraham sending them away. But there seems to be a purpose. And Abraham, it's recorded here that that Abraham cared for all his children. As he sent them away, he gave these six sons gifts. But what's clearly stated here is that Abraham really, the emphasis, his emphasis was on his son Isaac because Isaac was the child of the promise. There was something that Abraham was holding onto very, very tightly there. And everything in his power was all focused on making sure that God's plan through Isaac was going to go through. Now, there are some other interesting details in this passage here that we're not going to take time to look at this morning, but where I want to focus is verses 7 and 8, where it simply says this, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. I want us to zero in on that reality that Abraham, as, as larger than life as he is, his life was limited. In the grand scheme of things, his time was relatively short. It had a beginning 
and it had an ending. It was exactly the number of years that God had allotted for this man. It says he was full of years. He had reached the point to which God had said, all right, this is the time I want you to live. Okay, we're done here. In Abraham's life, it might seem long to us. We don't live 175 years. It's maybe 80 years longer than, than most of us will ever live. But when considered in the light of God's program, that grand plan and purpose for humanity, the eternal future that he has in store for God's people, well, 175 years is like a, not even a drop in the bucket. It's like the drop that, that gets smaller and smaller and smaller into infinitesimal nothingness. Like 175 years in the scope of eternity is nothing. And when you look at Abraham's life from that vantage point, you scratch your head and you go, wow, are any of our lives really worth anything? 175 years, that's nothing compared to eternity. What's, what's 60 years? What's 70 years? What's 75 years? And yet here we are, looking at a man's life thousands of years ago, in 2020, and we're reading about it, we're learning from it. Some of us are trying to pattern our own, pattern our own lives after it. And the question I want to ask this morning is, what is so significant about this man's life? And if Abraham's life was significant, can I look at those things that made it significant and there, can there be significance in my own life as well? There are four places in the New Testament where attention is drawn to Abraham and his legacy that he left behind. In the grand scope of God's program, Spanning the beginning of human history and on into eternity, in what ways does Abraham's life stand out? Was it buildings that he built? Was it incredible wealth that he amassed? Was it land? Was it power? Or was it something extraordinary, extraordinary about his personhood? Maybe it was an ability. Was it super strength that stood out? Was it incredible intelligence? Was it, was it otherworldly good looks? No, it's none of those things. Because you see, none of those things have lasting, real lasting value. You might have them for a time. But even these days, I mean, archaeologists are trying to dig up some of the great structures of the past. And we point to you know, what, what King Herod built and we go, wow, that thing must have been magnificent. We try to recreate some digital model of it and yet it, it's gone. It's glory days past. The worth of Abraham's life, it lives on because of its place in and submission to God's eternal program. That's where the real worth of Abraham's life is found. And there are four legacies that I want to point out from Abraham this morning. The first is this. Abraham, he's remembered for his faith. Abraham's life, it's a timeless testimony to the reality that salvation comes through faith and faith alone. Genesis 15, 6 said, you remember this, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was his faith, his trust in God that God looked at and counted that as righteousness. Now we've noted this before in our study of Genesis. Abraham was just like you or I. He wasn't perfect. He had fallen short of God's perfect standard. He had failed to keep, and at times, he intentionally broke God's law. But because of his faith in God, 
and faith in the plan that God was going to bring about to make payment for the sins of humanity through Christ's death on the cross. Because of all that, his sins are taken away. The guilt is removed. And because of that faith, simply because of that faith, he stood clean and worthy of God's full acceptance. That's incredible. Look at what Paul says about him in Romans 4.1. He says, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's saying here, Abraham didn't earn God's acceptance by somehow making God like him, by trying to earn that favor in some way, like, like someone tries to win over someone's trust, or someone tries to win the heart of that special something, someone by doing nice things, or writing little poems, or maybe delivering flowers and a box of chocolates. No, he's not saying that Abraham was justified by his works, that were justified it's not used too much, and sometimes we're not exactly familiar with what, it, what it's actually getting at. It simply means this, declared right. Declared right. It's used to describe when a person who is not right, a person who's guilty of doing or saying or thinking something, what the, what the Bible calls a sinner, it's saying that that person who is not right, it's what happens to them when they're made right in God's eyes. They're we say they're justified. They're declared no longer guilty. And Paul's arguing that Abraham's life shows us that, that no one rights the wrongs of their life by doing good things. You just can't do it. It's only by faith in God that people are made right. It's not in what they accomplish. It's in what God accomplishes. It was his belief in God that was counted to him as righteousness. And a question that some of us need to ask this morning are, are we made right with God? And how do we think we're made right with God? Have you been justified by faith or are you still trying to play some type of some type of numbers game here. You're trying to make up for the wrongs that you've done by trying to do more good things. You're trying to impress God by how many good things you can put up on the scale so that the balances turn and tip in your favor. And God says, ah, okay, it's teetering, it's teetering, it's teetering. All right, I like you. Hopefully in the end, our, our good things will outweigh the bad things. If that's where we're at, we need to take a careful note of Abraham's life. His time's up. But the lesson that we learn about the way things work in God's program, that lives on. Salvation is by faith, not by works. You see, the worth of Abraham's life, it's seen in the testimony to the truth that salvation for humanity, it has never been, nor ever will be found in human accomplishment, but by faith in what God has accomplished. And that's huge. But there's more to Abraham's legacy. Abraham is also remembered for his works. And some might say, whoa, what? 
wait a second, you just said it's, it's by faith and faith alone. You just said it's not by works. What are you talking about? It's not by his accomplishment. It's not by any human accomplishment. It's only by faith. And that's true. And that the life of Abraham is also a timeless testimony to the fact that what a person does, it gives evidence to what they believe. A person's works, their, their actions, their decisions, the way that they choose to live, that, that says something about them. It says something about what they believe. It says something about their faith. See, I could tell you all day long that I love my wife. And yet, if you see me neglecting her, not spending time with her, not, not caring for her needs, not sacrificing myself for her, then my words really don't mean anything. In fact, my actions prove false my statement, don't they? I don't love my wife. Abraham's works, his obedience to God, they're, they're seen in Genesis 22. Do you remember Genesis 22? This is an epic passage. We looked at it back in November. God had told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. This is the son that God had promised Abraham would come, but then Abraham had to wait so long to finally see be born. And when he was born, it was a miracle. It's unbelievable that this son came at this late time in Abraham's life. What rejoicing, what, what laughter there was. Do you remember? It was just, it was a laughable event because of the joy that was filling Abraham and Sarah's hearts at this miracle that happened. And then God says, I want you to go kill him. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Especially when, when God had told me that, that through my son that he promised, it's finally here, I'd have descendants like the stars in the sky. Well, how's that going to happen if he doesn't live? God, this doesn't make any sense. And yet we see Abraham obediently following God's commands up to the very last moment. And he proved his faith was real. God, I don't understand this. It makes no sense you seem like you're contradicting yourself. You seem like you're really not trustworthy. But you know what? I know you're the only one that I really have to trust in my life. So here is my trust and I'm obeying you. That faith, that faith validating action, it's remembered long after Abraham's life has gone away, right? And it's remembered in the New Testament, in the book of James. James writes in 2.21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And James is reminding us from Abraham's life of the timeless truth that, well, you can't be made right with God for doing good deeds. That's giving money to the poor, or being kind to others, or trying to make the world a better place. You can't be made right with God by doing those things. And yet at the same time, your works, they give evidence to the authenticity of your faith. Is your faith the real deal or is it just some type of cheap knockoff substitute of the real deal? So you can claim to have all the faith in God that you want, but if the life you're living proves otherwise, then the harsh reality is that you are a liar, a hypocrite, 
a disingenuous, unauthentic human being. James says in verse 26, that kind of faith, that's dead. It's worthless. You might as well just say that you have, don't want to have anything to do with God at all and go live your life because saying that you love God and that you trust God and you live otherwise, well, that just, that just invalidates the whole thing. That faith's not going to get you anywhere. God doesn't look at that faith and count it as righteousness. Look carefully at Abraham's life. Look carefully at the obedience to God that resulted from it. His time's up, but his legacy of obedience to God, it testifies to the fact his faith was the real thing. Do our actions, do our attitudes, do our decisions say the th same thing about our faith? Life is short. Let everything you do be a testimony to the fact that your faith is authentic and that you truly are part of God's program, a child of the promise. Abraham's remembered for his faith. He's remembered for his works. He's also remembered for Christ. He's remembered for Christ. Abraham's remembered for the one that God had promised would come from him. He's remembered for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The most significant thing about Abraham's life is ultimately not who he was, but who God would bring into the world through him. Abraham's life, it was, it was a limited thing. But Abraham's life would from it would come the one who had no limits at all. The value of Abraham's life, it's, it's, it's really directly tied to the one who had eternal value. And it's no different from us. Being connected to Christ is the thing that gives our lives that lasting value. It's what places our temporary lives in God's eternal program. It's what, it's, it's what connects us to the promise. And Paul says, Paul says, it actually brings us in and makes us a part of Abraham's family. Are you a relative of Abraham? Maybe by blood, maybe not by blood, but if you are in Christ, you're part of his family. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians that those who have faith in Christ, those are the ones who are Abraham's true offspring, his true descendants. They're bound to him by a bond that's frankly stronger than blood. Take a look at Genesis, or Galatians 3. The context is there were some Gentiles, some, some non-Jews who had trusted in Jesus and they were being told by some other Jewish people that uh, to be to be acceptable to God, to be made right with God, well, it's not enough that you just trust Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. You have to go through all these different steps to become a Jew as well. You need to become an official son or an official daughter of Abraham. And to that, Paul essentially says, no way. No way. If you have faith in Jesus, the one whom God promised was going to come from Abraham, then you're part of God's program. You're part of Abraham's family. See what he says in Galatians 3, 7. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations be blessed. So then, 
Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so it doesn't matter what nation you are from. Through Christ, God's plan was to bless people from every nation. In other words, Christ is the unity factor here. Christ is, is the game changer. Christ, the promised descendant of Abraham, is the key to being made right with God and brought into that family. Verse 16 says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Everyone knew that. Everyone agreed upon that. But then Paul points out, It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He's saying, this, is, this promise is not about just all of the people that would come from Abraham. No, 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 no. The promise zeroes in on one person, one descendant, and that person of great expectation was Jesus Christ. Verse 26. In Christ, Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abraham's life, it has eternal value because Abraham's life was all about Jesus. And Jesus is the reason that Abraham was called out of darkness. Remember? Out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Out of that moon worship. And into the light of God's program. His time is up. But Jesus lives on. And now if you think of Abraham, you can't rightly think of Abraham unless you think about Jesus. What do people think about when they look at you. What will they think about, what will they remember you for after you're gone? My prayer is that our lives are so closely tied to Jesus that they can't help but think about us and think about knowing something of Jesus at the same time. May the value of our lives not be found in what will burn up what will wear out, what will fade away, but in our connection to the one of eternal worth, and that is Christ. Abraham's remembered for faith. He's remembered for works. He's remembered for Christ. Finally, Abraham is remembered for faithfulness. His life is a timeless testimony to what it looks like to be a faithful person. And that's what the author of Hebrews points out. He points it out time and time again. Hebrews eleven eight. Abraham was faithful in his obedience to God. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. In Hebrews 9, his faithfulness is pointed out in his journeying to that place. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. You go to verse 10, and his faithfulness is seen in in his hope. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He wasn't there yet, 
but his eyes were faithfully fixed on the future that God was going to build through him. We go to verses 11 and verse 12, and they reveal Sarah's faithfulness and his faithfulness in their confidence in God, even throughout that long period of waiting for a son. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, Abraham was pretty old, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, we won't put up on the screen Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, which describes how his faith is uh, translated into his longing uh, for the day that he will one day be with God in heaven, or 17 and 18 that look at his faithfulness uh, as he's preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Verse 19 shows his faithfulness in his thinking, in his logic. Are you faithful in your thinking, in your logic? He's about ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, and it says this in Hebrews eleven nineteen. He considered, he wasn't just pushing thoughts out of his head and just trying to, okay, just obey, just obey. Just, no, he was thinking about this. And he was applying what he knew of God to the situation. It says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what he knew about God and his trust in God's ability to carry out his plan and to be faithful to it, that allowed him to faithfully think logically of even the possibilities of how God might work this out. He didn't know how God was going to make his promises come true, but God might do it this way. Abraham's time was up, but his legacy of faithfulness, it lives on. Yeah, there were a few mistakes, there were some unfaithful moments. But you look at the majority of his life and it shows us how the faithful life is lived. Are our lives marked by faithfulness to God? Make a point to look back, to check back in on the life of Abraham from time to time and be reminded how your life can be lived out in faithfulness to God. A life short. It really is. It's only a matter of time before the whistle blows and the coach yells, time's up. What will you be remembered for when your time has come to an end? What will be looked at in your life as having lasting value? You and I, we may not rise to the same level of prominence as Abraham, and yet if we followed in Abraham's footsteps of faith, then we're part of something much bigger than our limited time here on earth. We're part of God's eternal program. Maybe a small part, but we're a part. And we're here for the duration. That's such good news. The short time that you and I have here on earth may be brief, but it's not insignificant in any way. If we are in Christ, then our lives are part of God's great plan. And if they're a part of God's great plan, then they have value that is eternal. What are you living for? Do you find that the items on your bucket list, whether it's written down or not, are more about personal fulfillment 
or about fulfilling your purpose in God's program? Are you living to accomplish or are you relying on what God has accomplished? When you complete the sentence, life is too short, are you thinking about getting the most out of your time or about how your short time fits into God's timeline? The turn of the century British missionary to China, to India, and even to Africa, his name was C.T. Studd. I think he was quite a, quite a stud. He had his own life is too short statement. It's worded a little differently, but it's the same idea. Here it is. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. In other words, life is too short to waste on things that won't last. Live for Christ and your life will matter and last for eternity. Abraham's remembered for his faith, his works, for Christ, his faithfulness. What will you and I be remembered for when our time is up? Let's pray.